Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm yet another weasel that can't build a dam. Damn it, Scarlet. I'm just a weasel trying to build a dam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was either going to be that or Terry, but we'll get, to that. we'll get to that in a little bit. Welcome to episode 244, WCW Monday Night Nitro. The night after the rumble. Where the... Kangs live. This is where the <laughs> Sacramento Kings play. Oh. <laughs> this was the 76th episode of Nitro, produced by the WCW. It would take place on February 24th, 1997, from the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California, with a TV rating of 3.0. Nice. Not bad. I've been to the Arco Arena plenty of times a long time ago. Never been. Yeah, I mean, I lived in a suburb of Sacramento, so it made sense. Mostly Kings games, because they were cheap, and some monster trucks. Never saw any wrestling there. Did they do the Kings games games like they used to do with the Drillers games in Tulsa, where you just get free tickets at the local convenience stores? I don't know if they gave really free ones, but like Nosebleed were probably like $5, so they'd bring your Boy Scout troop there or something. It It was a pretty cheap thing to do. And then every time the every year when the Celtics played, we went because my dad's a Boston sports fan. But we are in Sacramento. Yeah, we are. So Shane, did you do what you do? Oh, he tried like hell. I did what I do adjacent. Yes, we are in Sacramento. Monday night. I almost said raw. Monday night nitro. And yeah, I did what I, I typically do, where I hop on the uh, old interwebs and. Do a deep dive into what the hell people eat, drink, do in Sacramento. And then I started looking around for restaurants that originated from Sacramento or the Sacramento area, and I came across one that I thought would be a good choice. And then I remembered that our options for this place around here are very, very limited, and they are very, very not good. Poor quality. But what started this company was the product that's in front of us, the root beer. What I'm talking about is A&W. A&W started in uh, 1919 in Lodi, California. Damn, I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, it's 104 years old. It uh, started as a root beer stand in uh, Lodi, California, and then a few years later they actually opened a drive through restaurant. I don't know if it's necessarily a drive through at the time because I don't know if cars were really... What people drove in 1923. Maybe like a, yeah, like a, three. a stand. I have no idea. A drive-up stand. Yeah. But uh, either way, it's been around for a long, long, long time. Everybody most likely has tasted it at some point in their lifetime, depending on their age. They do have a uh, an actual restaurant that sells burgers and fries and chicken sandwiches and, and whatnot. But as I mentioned... Maybe they're better in California, but the Midwest Southern versions that I've had of A&W restaurants have been worse than gas station food. I can attest to 
being a child in the Sacramento area, which Lodi is out just outside of, uh, a little south of it between that and Stockton. A&W restaurants in, when I was a kid were kind of, they were a step up from a McDonald's or whatever, and the inside of them kind of had like the sit-down Pizza Hut vibe almost. Okay. And they'd give you the like root beer in like a frosted glass oh, for yeah. like a tap and everything, which I think they did at all of the locations. But it had, and the, I feel like the buildings kind of had a similar neat looking vibe. You know how like Wiener Schnitzels are always in like the big A frames. These were, I don't know much about architecture, but they were in an interesting looking building from what I remember. So I've been to other. And the food was, I mean, I was a little kid, but I remember it being good. Sesame seed bun. I think maybe the burgers were cooked like a Burger King over charcoal, but I could See, be wrong about that. My first introduction to an A&W restaurant was when I was living in Tulsa, and they had them as a combination restaurant. I think that's the one we have here as well uh, with Long yeah. John Silver's. And, I mean, Long John Silver's had already worked its way down into a, a joke of a restaurant, and when they partnered up with A&W, it just kind of made me sad because then it led me to believe that A&W is also on their way to becoming a joke of a restaurant. Yeah. And they haven't really done a whole lot in the Oklahoma area to change my opinion on that because it's... It's It's just not good. Bottom of the barrel burgers. But as much as I don't like to trash products while their food I have not been a fan of, I've always been a fan of their root beer and of their cream soda. Yeah, they definitely got that part right. <clears throat> yes. So there's really nothing for me to talk into a microphone while I'm taking a bite of. I've already opened my bottle, so you won't get to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm 46, and I still have no issues cracking open a, an ice-cold root beer. Every now and then, they they just... The it's day calls for it. choice. <laughs> I'm just drinking like maybe one root beer a, a year, and it's like the perfect amount. But it's not the kind of soda you just drink. Yeah, the first root beer I brought, I believe, was not your father's or not your grandfather's or something like that root beer where it was actual alcohol. But this one was probably... That was the first root beer you ever had? No. The, oh. For the podcast. The oh, first okay, root beer okay. I, brought. I was like, wait, that stuff's not that old. No. First root beer was probably... A&W or... Either A&W or Barks or Shasta. Remember Dad's? Dad's old-fashioned root beer. That was good stuff. I can't remember. I figure I would because not having a dad, you figure I'd remember drinking something called Dad's. It's like yellow, a red, a yellow, red, yellow, yellow, with yeah. a big yellow sticker that said Dad's no. old fashioned. Yeah. Was Mer- that like a premium brand? I don't think so. Okay. I think it was more like the, the RC Cola version of root beer, yeah. as far as like popularity or whatever. But I remember I think Barks did cool stuff in the '90s where it's like, oh, you could get like. Ninja Turtle temporary tattoos mm-hmm. or Simpsons temporary tattoos and Barks at certain times. They barks were, had bite, man. Yeah. yeah. You know what the difference between A&W and Barks, the, the biggest difference? Caffeine. Yep. Yep. A&W does not have it. Barks does. That's Really? That's, I didn't know that. That's the bite that they always talked about. Mm. So usually when I wanted a, a drink without some caffeine, like late at night. Oh, uh, yeah. I go with the old A&W. Yeah. And see, I didn't learn that until I started working at restaurants. I heard parents bitching and moaning that their kid couldn't have a root beer because all we had was Barks. And uh, what is it? A&W Zero or whatever is good. I've uh, never had that. I bought it randomly earlier, or like early October, and uh, had one, and it was uh, it was nice. 
See, A&W was always, like, Barks was the one that I preferred to drink, but if I wanted a root beer float, it was it was always A&W, because Barks had too much bite, and it, it messed with the flavor of the, the root beer float, but mm. this one is always, uh, maybe always little, perfect. Maybe a little sweeter, the Pepsi to Coke? Yeah, well, it has a little vanilla. I've always kind of been a, a believer that root beer has, or at least the A&W brand, has a little bit of cream soda in it. Yeah. Checks out. Mm-hmm. A&W is definitely the premier cream soda brand. It's not like a uh, well, they do sell one brew or whatever. They do sell a an A&W root beer that it'll be marked on there of aged vanilla. Oh, really? Yeah, but this one is not. Hmm. Well, right around the same time as this Nitro episode, the theater got a few movies coming into it. Oh yeah, Booty Call. Okay. Donnie Brasco. Okay. And Hard Eight. All right. I've seen one of these movies. I'm going to go with Heart Eight's probably the one you've seen. You got it. <laughs> That's Paul Thomas Anderson's very first film. Uh, I've seen Booty Call. I've seen all three. I've so. seen Donnie Brasco. I can't remember if I saw Heart Eight. Because I watched all of these. I was working at Blockbuster when they came out on video, so I watched all of them then. I didn't see them in the theaters. but I mean, if you had seen Heart Eight, it would have been on Take, DVD yeah. or VHS at the time. It was not a hit. No, definitely not. I mean, it has uh, it, it has Paul Thomas Anderson's like a lot of his normal crew, like Philip Baker Hall and John C. Riley, Philip Seymour Hoffman, his normal people that like in all of his movies. Yeah, but I gotta look this one up. It's definitely worth the watch. It's not. I don't. It's probably not anybody's favorite Paul no, Thomas Anderson movie. Not. But it's it's like if you there's no reason not to watch it. It's not one of those things where it's like oh. He didn't figure it out. It's like, no, it's a very well-made movie. It's just, you know, he went on to make some masterpieces. Uh, Donnie Brasco, I always think to myself that it, it is a... It's The Departed of the 90s. Okay. Well, I'm thinking of the guy's, the director. Um, Mike Newell? Yeah, I always think that it is... A weird choice for him. <laughs> I always think it's the guy that made fucking Scarface and Carrie. Uh, why can't I think of his name? I love him. And I can't think of yeah, it because I need to right now. I'm blanking on it as well. I talk yeah. about him all the time. Brian De Palma. I always think it's a De Palma movie, and then I've realized it's not a De Palma movie, and I choose to watch something else because I've seen a lot of <laughs> De Palma movies, and uh, I've probably seen at least 70% of them. The guy's made a lot of stuff, but and then I've realized that it's not a De Palma movie, so I just kind of move on to something else. It's my second favorite Michael Madsen film. That's cool. Behind Free Willy? Kill Bill, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a typically a huge Michael Madsen fan, but I'm not either. Yeah, I don't know that many people are. Let's see. And Booty Call, I imagine, is just a uh, comedy. It's a sex comedy. It's uh, Jamie Fox, Tommy Davidson. Yep. Vivica A. Fox. Oh, that sounds fun. Tamala Jones. I can. Uh, what's funny is I know is that the. How you say her name, Tamala? I gotta look. I know the. Uh, what's it called? The. VHS cover for sure. I definitely <laughs> remember that. The one I'm thinking of is the one with the booty on it. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. That was the actual movie cover. Yeah, that was the VHS cover. <laughs> I remember. I definitely remember that. Yes, I uh, had to rearrange that wall many, 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 many a times. But booty call. It was. It was good. It was fine. I mean, it was what you expected it to be. <laughs> yeah. I think it was one of the first times that like I realized who Jamie Foxx was. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know he'd been in some other things before. Yeah, I mean, he First time he, like, cocked him as a guy. His time on Living Color. Yeah, uh, I mean, he'd done plenty of TV TV shows. Moesha and Living Color, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, he'd already introduced the world to Wanda and rocked their world. I mean, he was in the Great White Hype. Yes. That year before as well. Yeah, Booty Call, it was a, a popular rental. It wasn't one that we had 107 copies of like others, but no. the 12 or 21 you know, that we had were, were constantly on the go. Yeah, I have... I don't know if I actually saw Heart 8 now that I looked at the, the cast and the cover of it. I remember the cover, but I don't think I ever watched it. I remember it. enjoying it. But yeah. It definitely is nothing that, like... Like, if... It's if a great. Like, if you like P.T. Anderson and you've never watched Heart Eight, you should definitely go check it out. But it's not something that I would tell people just to like. No, like it's you a need to watch this. It's movie. a good watch, but not like a particularly memorable watch. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, oh yeah, that was a yeah, that was not the worst way to spend you know an hour and forty five minutes. But it's probably not anybody's favorite movie. I mean, it was a critic starling. For sure, watch. yeah. Yeah, because I mean that was around the time Gwyneth had, she was working her way towards an Oscar. Seven had already come out, so yeah, you know, she was, she was booming. Um, she's great in Seven, uh, even though she's has a limited role. But in that limited role, she has to be right. extremely likable for the end of that movie to uh, hit, and it does with her great scene with Morgan Freeman in uh, the diner or whatever. But Seven's a better movie than these three. Nominated for a bunch so of... So it's easier to talk about. Independent <laughs> Spirit Awards. Best Supporting Actor for Samuel L. Jackson. Best Male Lead for Philip Baker Hall. Best Cinematography. Best First Feature. Best First Screenplay. But yeah. That was the majority of it. Uh, it sounds like all three of these movies are fine. I don't know enough about Donnie Brasco. If, if, if you haven't seen any of them, then, like I said... If you're looking for something to watch, none of them are going to disappoint you, yeah. but nothing's going to blow you away. If you're a fan of anybody in the cast, you're you're going to enjoy it. Well, let's see if there's anyone on this Nitro. That we enjoy. That we enjoy. <laughs> Lord willing, there got to be at least one or two. Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show as Pyro goes off, and he introduces the living legend Larry Zabisco before showing us some stills. From Super Brawl 7. And then we roll right into our first match. Public Enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge. Versus the Four Horsemen of Steve, Mongo McMichael, and Jeff Jarrett. With Deborah. Oh my gosh. Look at these two back together already. I know. So Mongo and Rock start us off with some shoving and a missed shoulder tackle in the corner. With both tagging out. So Grunge takes control with a hip toss and a swinging neckbreaker. And Rocco returns with an axe handle and a back elbow on Double J. And he goes to whip Jarrett, which is reversed. Only for Rock to avoid a charge. But Michael is there with a clothesline from the apron. Mongo's brought back in for a leg drop and stomps. Before Double J chokes Rocco on the ropes. Followed by McMichael hitting a pair of three-point stance tackles. And Rock continues to be worked over by the horseman. When Jarrett catches him going for a leapfrog, powerbombing him down for a two count, which is broken up by Johnny. And the ref works to get Grunge out of the ring, so Mongo asks for the briefcase, 
only to smash double Dre across the back with it, allowing Rock to roll up Jarrett for the pin and, and the win. Callback. Public Post- enemy on a streak. That's right. <laughs> Post-match, Arn Anderson and the nature boy Ric Flair hit the ring along with mean Gene Ogron. And Gene asks McMichael what he's trying to prove, with Mongo replying that everyone saw what Double J did last night, so he has to welcome him into the horseman. Michael continues that when your brothers mess with you, you take them in the backyard and you get back what they took from you. Now this entire time, Jarrett has just been livid in the corner, being held back by the enforcer, when Nate cuts off Bongo, saying that Double J is now with us, that they need team players. And over the last 11 years, the horsemen have earned the respect, with the task at hand being to show everybody here why they are the symbol of excellence. Double A then tells both men to listen. The NWO, the Dungeon, even Luger and Giant are getting stronger while the horsemen are getting weaker as the nature boy himself and Benoit are all hurt. He he, says Chris Benoit may never be back after last night. So he wants them to shake hands. Put you in this get-along t-shirt. McMichaels extends his hand with Jarrett being convinced to do the same by Arn and Flair. We'll see how well this tag team works out for him. Yeah, I love that Mongo says he might mess with Double J, but nobody else better. Tony and Larry then discuss the weakened state of the horseman before heading to a commercial. But when we come back, we go to our second match. I gotta say this about Tony. Who let him go out there in a gray sweatshirt? And it's got the WCW embroidery, (laughs) but he just looks like, like a chubby kid swimming in... Yeah, like on like watching Saturday morning cartoons <laughs> in his sweater. It's uh, such a bad look for television. And he's sitting next to Zabisco, who's got like a nice button up that has the same embroidery, and he looks like he should be behind the desk. And Tony looks like he should be behind a bowl of cereal. <laughs> it's very funny looking. Our second match: Galaxy versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Did anybody think that Galaxy was La Parka for a split second? A little bit. I did too. I just laughed at the fact that we went through a pair of uh, three-point stances, and I guess it called out Duggan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why? Why aren't Duggan and Mongo though, tag team? Uh, yeah. The three points. They, they can do a uh, finishing move called the three-point dance stance. Thankfully, the world doesn't hate us that much. Where you know one one goes low, one goes high, and the guy does the backflip. Uh, total three-point stance nation. Mm-hmm. So we haven't seen either man since World War Three ninety six episode two twenty nine, and Duggan uses his size advantage early on, hitting a back body drop and a series of clotheslines. USA. While Shivani thinks that Savage was forced to join the NWO just to get back into wrestling after being blackballed early in January. I mean, hey, that's a better than him doing it for any other reason. So Galaxy bells out to the floor, only for Hacksaw to follow to keep up the attack, slamming him hard on the ground before rolling back in. As Duggan comes back in, Galaxy is able to land some strikes, only for Hacksaw to just shake them off, drape him over the ropes, and deliver some clubbing blows to the chest to send Galaxy flopping out to the floor. Now back in the ring, Galaxy's whipped to a corner, 
which he leaps up and off with a moonsault, only for Duggan to just sidestep it, sending Galaxy crashing to the mat. Is this where Samoa Joe learned it, guys? Joe, 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 Joe. Hacksaw nails the three-point stance clothesline, tapes his fist, screams for Hogan, and drills Galaxy in the head for the pin and And the the win. Post-match, Duggan heads up the aisle and meets up with Mean Gene, who asks him his thoughts about Super Brawl. And Hacksaw says, first, it was Terry. And now Macho Man, asking what's wrong with them. Did they forget about the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Special Olympics, and all their fans out there? Duggan continues that they may have all the money and power, but their hearts are black. That he will stand and fight, not stopping, not hiding. He even calls out Hogan, saying he can beat him, before calling Savage a little man, and that he will trample over him as well. He almost uh, says ass. I mean, his A. His A. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna kick your A. He. He mean. He's probably already not gonna get the match he's trying to angle for in this wonderful promo by using the name Terry. <laughs> Probably is enough to be like, yeah, we're not doing this. Hacksaw tells Hogan not to send his jabronis after him. That when he attacks, it won't be through the back door. He will kick in the front door and take them out. Creepy. I mean, it's a really good Best Hacksaw Duggan promo. promo yeah, ever. he's pissed and like the crowd is behind him. And it's the most excited I've been for Duggan ever. I mean, this has to be leading up to something, right? Totally. I, th- I, my, that was my question. Was like, I feel like Hogan wouldn't give him the time of day at this point, but at the same time, I can kind of see it, and it almost feels like he's just speaking it into existence. But would he really go that far off script? Considering we know Hacksaw is one of like the nicest guys to ever come out of wrestling, supposedly. Well, the answer. Is no, as we won't see him again until November. Oh, well, good for trying, Axel. You did a great promo. You were fired up, and I believed you. We go to break, but we come back to Tony telling us that you can go to WCW.com and hear an audio simulcast of Nitro in Japanese or Spanish for the first time in wrestling history. Hey, check that out. That's impressive. History being made. Oh, get, get your February make sure to, 24th, 1997, yeah. the first Spanish and Japanese, Japanese simulcast. simulcast or translated simulcast. You, so make sure you update your QuickTime player. Yeah, today in pop culture history. So we go to our third match. Joe Gomez versus Hugh Morris. Mm. Cool. We haven't seen Gomez since World War Three ninety six, episode 229. Could have told you that I'd never seen him, and I guess I would have been alive. <laughs> A feeling out process to start until Joe floats over a laughing man charge, getting a roll-up for a one-count. Morris then takes control with boots and other strikes when Gomez gets another roll-up after being whipped to the ropes for a two-count. Joe grabs an armbar that the laughing man fights his way free from to nail a clothesline and a rake of the eyes. Gomez then goes for a leapfrog on an Irish whip before hitting a dropkick, grabs another armbar, only for the Laughing Man to again fight his way free, catching Joe this time on a leapfrog attempt and slamming him down. Morris heads up top to deliver no laughing matter 
for the pin. And, and the, the win. win. I mean, the No Laughing Matter was very impressive. Big-ass moonsault. Mm-hmm. But then he does this, the like split-leg pin as if he's Nikita Lyons on top of Joe Gomez. And I really got a kick out of that. We get another commercial break where we get an NWO merch ad. And Ted DiBiase tells Six he looks like a million bucks. Uh-huh. Styling in a black denim jacket. Call this number or send money to the P.O. box, because you would be styling too. Got it? Get it. Good. Then we go to TBS Superstation presents WCW Saturday Night, 6.05 Eastern Time, where you will see Faces of Fear versus High Voltage, Public Enemy versus the Amazing French Canadians, Chris Jericho, Super Callow, Scotty Riggs, and many other top superstars. Hey. I wish the French Canadians were more over. They've been, they were fun. Yes. I'm sure I'll never see them again. Well, I bet we see them again. Maybe. Maybe, you know, not in any real way. <laughs> Shivani then shows us steals of Benoit versus Sullivan from the previous night. Before we go to our fourth match, La Parca versus Ice Train with Teddy Long. And as Ice hits the ring... We get some pre-recorded comments from his manager, taking Miss Jacqueline to task, saying that the taskmaster would have never sacrificed himself for her like the way she did for him, telling her to get out of the dungeon now. Teddy's going after Jacqueline, huh? Guess so. Hmm. I have no clue where this leads or if it leads to anything. Maybe they want their own nation. Could be. They already got their own Maivia. Or maybe somebody remembered, hey, we've got a women's championship oh, somewhere yeah. in the company. Yeah, I guess Jacqueline uh, looks like she could have a belt. Yeah. She's huge. Very fit lady. So Parker attacks as the bell rings. The ice train just starts no-selling everything and delivering chops, hip tosses, and a power slam as Tony wonders why Teddy cares about Jackie so much. And train continues with an avalanche attack and forearms until Laparka nails an insiguri and a top rope spinning heel kick for a two count. Tony also lets us know that Ice Train has taken some time off to train. So they're like, oh, go get better. You're large. <laughs> Parka starts running the ropes, leaping at Ice Train, only to be caught and driven down with another power slam, followed by a splash in a corner. And Laparka slows the momentum with a jawbreaker and a pair of spinning heel kicks. That sends Train rolling out to the floor to regroup with the guidance of Long. But Parker comes flying out with a corkscrew plancha. Now back in the ring, the two men trade clotheslines with Ice Train getting the better of the exchange. Followed by a scoop slam and a whip of Laparka to a corner. Where he leaps up and off, only to be caught and taken down with another power slam. Train then finishes it off with a train wreck, which is a leaping splash. For the pin... And the win. Toot, toot. Post-match, <laughs> Teddy and Ice Train yell out, What's side? As we head to break. I uh, like Ice Train. That's all I got to say, really. I also like La Parka, but... He still feels like he's wearing a Halloween costume. Yeah, that's his thing. Yep. He's wearing skulls on his shoulders. We come back to Shivani sending a special message. To Roddy Piper. He's champion in Tony's eyes. 
and Hogan doesn't deserve the title. Before Larry chimes in that it's mind-blowing that Randy Savage ruined it all. Son of a bitch. I mean, it's more disappointing than mind-blowing, I'd say. So we go to our fifth match. T. Garrico versus the Faces of Fear. <laughs> of um, Ming and the Barbarian. It's Guerrero. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was just coined recently. Otherwise, we, we, could... did, we did it 27 years late, <laughs> but we decided that it worked. So we get some steals of Eddie and Chris's match from the previous evening, but then Barbie uses his power advantage to start, working over Jericho in a corner. Kind of wild that two show matches from the pay-per-view the night before like, became tag teams on the show the next day. <laughs> Seems pretty wild. But he misses a big boot allowing Chris to fire back with a drop kick to the knee and a spinning heel kick. Jericho's whip's reversed, but he gets a boot up on Barbarian's charge before nailing a second rope drop kick, tagging in Guerrero, who leaps in with a slingshot somersault senton for a two count. Barbie reverses another whip to send Eddie to the ropes, hoisting him high into the air and down to the mat, face first. Pancake! Before bringing Ming in to deliver chops, headbutts, and a stiff powerbomb. Oof, with no cover. Gro again is tossed to the ropes, ducking a clothesline. Coming back with a head scissors takedown before tagging in Chris for a double back body drop for a near fall. Jericho is then sent to the ropes where the barbarian gets a knee into his back from the apron, allowing Ming to hit a back suplex. And Barbie returns to place Chris on this top rope for a super-release belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. Hell yeah. But Jericho is able to come right back with a roll-up for a near-fall of his own. Ming tags in to nail more headbutts and chops before sending Chris to a corner, where he leaps up and off with a crossbody, only for Ming to pop right back up to choke and clobber. The Faces of Fear team up for their back-body drop into a powerbomb for a two-count before hitting stereo-flying headbutts. For a near fall. The Faces of Fear continue to beat down a Jericho until he's tossed to the ropes, where he springboards off with a moonsault, followed by an Insiguri to take down Ming, who pops right back up again, only to miss an elbow, allowing Chris to leap to the corner for the hot tag. Eddie lands some uppercuts, a clothesline, and a drop kick to take down Ming, followed by Jericho coming in with a top rope crossbody and a double drop kick only to send him right into a tag. So the Barbarian comes in immediately with a double clothesline attempt, only for Guerrero to duck on his side and nail a dropkick. Chris dropkicks Ming off the apron, before teaming up with Eddie for a double-team suplex, followed by Jericho going for the lion salt. But Ming trips him up, sending Chris tumbling to the floor. Guerrero's headed up top, when Dean Malenko runs down to shove him off. Right into a Barbie sidekick. Oof. For the pin. And, and the win. And he got his payback. Yep. But, I mean, what a fun match. Like Absolutely. Yeah. I, my biggest complaint would be that, like, Eddie and Chris don't sell the big moves enough. But we're on TV. And they're little guys. They got stronger recovery time, right? Exactly. They're They're agile. But to see two guys that can throw anybody on the planet around throw around two guys that are like technically sound and can take the moves 
this is this is the stuff I want to see all the time. Yep. We had to break, but when we return, it's hour number two, along with Pyro, Iron Mike today, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. No, hour number two means you can say, damn. And they run down some of our remaining action before turning their attention to Macho Man and Super Brawl. With Tanae saying he was convinced Savage was on Sting's side until the shocking turn. But where does Sting stand? While the brain says that Hogan's lucky, but does question where Sting stands. He stands alone. He's a big Godsmack fan. That's the cheese. Uh, the cheese stands the alone. Stand alone. You could argue that uh, Sting's uh, gimmick is cheesy. <laughs> Shivani then shows us footage of the Horsemen from the first hour. Before we go to our sixth match, Juventud Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio Jr. And the two men have a feeling out process to start when Rey places Guerrero in a modified gory special, only for Hoovy to slip out and deliver a DDT and a springboard dropkick. And Guerrero starts working a leg until they go through a sequence of mat reversals and pen attempts that ends with Hoovy hitting a spin kick and chops. And uh, the announcers let us know that Ray has had a recent knee injury, so it makes sense for Hoovy to be working it over. And the two start running the ropes, with Ray being backdropped onto the apron, only to moonsault back in, which Guerrero ducks and nails a moonsault of his own for a two count. Now Mysterio ducks a clothesline and delivers a head scissors that sends Hoovy bailing to the floor. Only for Ray to follow out with a baseball slide, which Guerrero catches him. So Mysterio counters it into another head scissors onto the floor. Now back in the ring, Ray heads up top. But Hoovy meets him there and sunset flip power bombs Mysterio down to the mat for a near fall. And Ray rolls out to the apron. So Guerrero uses a baseball slide of his own to kick him out to the floor. Before flying through the ropes with a tope suicida, driving Mysterio into the railing. Ray's tossed in, with Hoovy going for a springboard somersault senton, only for Mysterio to catch him and powerbomb him in mid-air. Ray then heads to the apron for a springboard hurricanrana, for the pin, and, and the win. win. Fun, a lot of big creative spots. The baseball kick caught and swung when he swings Ray out onto the floor, fucking wild. Yep. It looks awesome and, uh, yeah, exciting and a move that I had to rewind a couple times because, like, holy shit, how did he do that without just getting the wind knocked out of him or breaking his head? There was a funny spot where the ref counts when both men are on the back, on their back, like, you know, a 10 count or whatever, but, like, nobody's covering anybody, really. Standing 10 count. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he goes to the mat and counts to like three, and then both men like bridge up at the same time. It felt very bizarre and out of place. But that's just oh, that the logic. Was the, yeah. ma- the mat stuff. Uh huh. It was during like the test of strength, like yeah. monkey flip type stuff or whatever. But then they're both on the thing, and he's but he counts. But it's like, well, I think they had since they had their hands in each other. Yeah. Technically, one of them's on. They're on top of each other. Yeah, but it just like it didn't. But the, the bridge up on three, it's like I don't know. Like it looked cool, but. Logically, it was uh, bizarre. Yeah. Where I like, you know, I you. yeah, made me scratch my head. We go to break, only to come back to the one eight hundred collect road report with Stagger Lee Marshall, and he's at the CNN Center in Atlanta because next week's show is at the Obby, which is across the street. 
And Marshall's reminded of a great movie, Dawn with the Weasel, saying the classic line, Scarlet, weasels can't build a dam. Yep. I mean, it's true. He said it. Beavers build dams. <laughs> so. So we go to our seventh match. <laughs> okay. Pat Tanaka versus Prince Iakea for the WCW World Television Championship. And we haven't seen Tanaka since the Great American Bash 96, episode 205, when he was under a mask as El Gato. That's right. The cat. But the bigger thing is, did anyone recognize Pat Tanaka's music? Oh, yeah. It took me a second, and then, yeah. It's Goldberg's music. Oh. Weird. Yep. <laughs> I've had it in the. I've had uh, it for a while, but no pyro. Like literally, it started playing. And I was just like, "It's not time for Bill Goldberg yet." Yeah. Waiting for the sparklers to go up. Yeah. What's also funny is like, oh, they have this track just sitting around. We'll use it for Pat Tanaka, but on the pay per view last night, the Giant came out to no music yes. at all. Yeah. So it was just like couldn't give him. It couldn't give him this, but I guess it's one of those things where it makes him even more the uh, underdog when he comes out, you know, to silence. So we see stills from Prince's match from the previous night as the two men start off by trading arm locks until Iakea takes Pat down with an arm drag. Tanaka goes to the eyes and grabs a headlock before putting the Prince down with a shoulder block. But Iakea fires back with a double thrust. The Prince then goes for a kick, but Pat catches it and nails a dragon screw leg. <sighs> you know I popped for the dragon screw. And I some chops, it. only for Iakea to again fire back with clotheslines. The prince tosses Tanaka to the ropes, goes for a leapfrog, only for Pat to catch him and powerbombing down for a two count. Ooh, love a sit out. Iaka then reverses a whip and catches Tanaka with a Samoan drop, followed by a springboard senton backsplash before heading up top to fly off with a crossbody for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Solid match to build old uh, Prince Iaka. Ikea. Uh-huh. I'm trying to... Th- I don't know his actual name. I wanted to make a P.I. joke. Magnum P.I. joke. But, hey, it's okay. Yeah, let's, let's find out. I do like I'm that curious. Pat, Pat we, Tanaka wears, like... We might need to know this for future trivia, so... Like full-on traditional, like, Japanese garb. Let's see. And wrestles in I-A-U-K-E-A. His name's Robert. Name. I'm guessing Robert. You have something in common with him. His name is Michael. His name is Michael Lauli Hainer from Honolulu, Hawaii. Michael P.I. doesn't really have a ring no. to it. Michael L.H. But, I mean, technically, he has the Magnum crossover because mm. Magnum was in Hawaii. There you go. So, it's it's, he, it's pretty much there. It's instantly made Prince I.A.K. much more interesting in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. We are uh, reaching the same way WCW is by trying to get <laughs> Prince I.A.K. over. We're giving him a backstory. We go to break, but when we come back, we go to our eighth match. Jesus. Ultimo Dragon <sighs> with Sonny Ono versus Dean Malenko. I mean, yeah, I love both of these guys <laughs> so very much. Ultimo Dragon's song is so good. So today says we can consider this a number one contenders match for the Cruiserweight title. Before more still shots from the previous evening. I mean, this match is just a chef's kiss on paper. And uh, Old Dean still gets a rematch because he just lost his title. 
So the two men are back and forth, take downs and holds, until Dean goes for a back body drop, only for Dragon to land on his feet and leg sweep Malenko. They then both reach in for a handshake, but Dean yanks him in to slug him and take control with kicks and elbows. The ice water in his veins getting frosty. Malenko telegraphs another back body drop, so Ultimo goes into a series of kicks, followed by a drop kick for a two count. Dean recovers to trip up Dragon before tossing him out to the floor to continue the punishment by whipping Ultimo into a guardrail. Back inside, Malenko drops Dragon with a brain buster for a near fall before working the back with a camel clutch, only for Ultimo to slip out and reverse into a modified surfboard, followed by going in to a Muda lock. Did you know that Dean Malenko is not only the man of a thousand holds, but he also has lots of counters? <laughs> back to their feet, Dragon telegraphs a back body drop, with Dean delivering a sunset flip for two. But Ultimo tries to come right back with a powerbomb, only for Malenko to block and reverse into a back body drop. Dean then hits a double underhook powerbomb for a near fall. Ooh-wee. And he goes for an ab stretch. But Dragon is able to fight through to send Malenko out to the floor. And as Dean makes his way to the apron, Ultimo's springboard drop kicks him back down. Followed by another drop kick through the ropes and a top rope crossbody. Damn. Back in the ring, Dragon's tossed into the ropes with Malenko trying for a pop-up powerbomb. But Ultimo counters it into a hurricanrana for a two count with Dean then pulling him over for a near fall of his own. Dragon then charges into a corner, only to meet a big boot. But he does take Malenko down with a drop toehold, before delivering a law magistrale for a two count. Ultimo goes for a handspring back elbow, but Dean catches him and nails a release German suplex, Ooh-wee. followed by a just choking Dragon. He's pissed. Ramming his head into the mat. I am loving Nasty Dean. Sonny Ono jumps on the apron, only for Malenko to smack him down, before returning to choke Ultimo some more, just not releasing the hold as the ref gets to the five count. So he calls for the disqualification. I mean, this is a great DQ win, because we've seen Dean get a little nastier, a little nastier, and he's fed up, and... uh... He's in ass-kicking mood, and uh, I don't think that he looks stronger. And, I mean, Ultimo always looks good, but he's not a full-time WCW guy. So it's uh, it's good for both of them and great for television because this is wonderful. Post-match, Mean Gene catches up with Dean in the aisle, saying that Eddie Guerrero came out to help him at Super Brawl. But Malenko's blaming him for everything that has gone wrong. Dean responds that he's sick and tired of what's been happening and the lack of respect he's gotten over the past few weeks. Malenko continues that Six has what he wants and he will get it back. But the last person he ever thought would steal the belt from him was Eddie. He then finishes by saying he just doesn't care anymore before stalking off as we head to break. Dean, Dean, Dean. You know what else I love is the 1,000 on his trunks looks like the 100 emoji that's popular now. Yeah. Another section of this match that I enjoyed was, I don't know if Bobby was just saying it to be menacing or if he clearly forgot, but how many belts does Ultimo have now? 
Oh, I mean, yeah, he was just he being Bobby. Lost, he doesn't actually know. Yeah, he lost uh, his uh, lost his J crown. Mm-hmm. He's beltless. You can't have them all forever, brother. We come back from the break as Tony is talking about uncensored. Before we go to our ninth match, Diamond Dallas Page versus Squire David Taylor. And we get more still photos from last night as Diamond Dallas Page, as DDP makes his way into the ring. As we all think to ourselves, Dave Taylor still works here? Yeah. And the Squire attacks as the bell rings, slugging away on Page, hitting an uppercut and a vertical suplex for a two count. DDP fights back to deliver an inverted atomic drop and calls for the finish when the Outsiders make their way out. That was the crowd popping for the Outsiders. Page lifts Taylor into a fireman's carry, nailing the diamond cutter, but before he can cover, he notices Hall and Nash, and they circle the ring to distract him as Macho Man runs in to clobber DDP from behind with a spray can. That's right. Dusty Rhodes is not on commentary tonight. It's a clobber, not a clover, baby. (laughs) A fan then jumps the rail to join the fun, so the NWO beats him down before returning their attention to Paige, spray-painting his back. Yeah, and leave it to the drunk guy to shoot, punch him in the face when everyone else just, like, pushes him out of the ring. Because, like, the guy shouldn't have done that. But, like, Scott Hall gets a good one to the side of his head, and then Randy and Kevin just, like, you know, push him out of just push him out of the ring, not in any even, like, you know, diff- any crazy way. Yeah. Like, there's no way in hell that guy could have done any damage to those three giant men. That's uh, not a weapon. Two former world champions, and one never was a world champion. Yeah, and, and Scott Hall was the one tell. that was a bouncer back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin then hands an NWO shirt to Savage, ah, boo. which he puts on, followed by heading up top to hit an elbow drop. The beating continues as we head to break, but when we return, they're still in the ring with Scott having a mic in hand. And he asks the crowd for a welcome to the newest member of the NWO, Macho Man, Randy Savage. But then he says, we don't stop there. We can deliver more than one icon. As he introduces the undisputed, undefeated, NWO World Heavyweight Champion, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Hall then asks Hollywood about his feelings with his response being that the NWO is on a roll. Bruh. And that California loves to party just like them. And Hogan continues that Savage should be rewarded. So Eric Bischoff and Ted DiBiase escort out a smiling Miss Elizabeth. Which the announcers like literally note that it's the first time she's been smiling in months. And Macho says that is sweet. <laughs> Before Scott says that when you're NWO, you're NWO for life. We're getting boos and cheers, mm-hmm. but boos are always louder than cheers. So, And everybody knows that Sacramento's NWO territory as we head to another break. And Scott Hall was fucked up. Maybe not visibly, but vocally. You could tell that he had uh, imbibed in uh, alcohol and or pills. Which is sad, because I was thinking to myself while watching Super Brawl that Scott actually looks pretty good. Yeah. And then <laughs> the next night on Nitro, he looks like 
He's all fucked up. I mean, he didn't have to work, so True. maybe that's why. True. Maybe there's some, uh, he just, you know, some some internal drug addict rules in his brain <laughs> at, the, at this point in time. We get the uncensored 97 ad with Hugh Morris behind bars again before returning to our 10th match, Harlem Heat of Booker T and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry. Sister. Versus Lex Luger and the Giant for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. And Booker and Lex look to start, but suddenly Eric Bischoff comes running out before any action happens grabbing a mic and Shivani predicts that Eric will be stripping the champions of their belts as Bischoff says he brought some friends as the NWO trickles back out Bischoff says they have a problem here but he has a simple fix Luger was out of order last night and the belts belonged to the outsiders Lex did not have a doctor's release and was not authorized to wrestle he even used the cast in the match so he follows that up by asking for the belts. I thought they said on the show, on Super Bowl, that he had been released. But then he was just barred by Bischoff. He had been, the doctors had given him the release, but Bischoff's still the president of WCW, yeah. and he said no. You know. I'm just doing my fact checking. Since, since old Eric said that he didn't have his doctor's note. All right. Luger says he will need to be carried out on a stretcher before he hands the belts over. That he is sick of all the politics, but does say he has an offer for Eric. Lex continues that he's willing to hand the titles back to the outsiders if Bischoff will put up all of the titles at Uncensored. And Eric immediately agrees. I was just kind of like, you don't have any clue what you're agreeing to, buddy. Also... Uncensored needs something. They were they were saying it was like no belts, no titles, no rules. It's like yeah. why why buy it? But we want to see title changes. Then I'm also thinking, weren't all the belts on the line for Super Bowl? Yeah, because they kept talking about how this is two of five, this is three of five. Yeah, all the belts were on the line. Of Super yeah, Bowl. <laughs> as like so, as most of them should be on. Give me another show like we had last yeah. night, and then yeah. Except for it'll be with more shithousery. That's right. So the tag belts are handed over, followed by Luger telling Bischoff to put together his best team. The camera then cuts to the aisleway to see Sting slowly walking to the ring, walking up the steps, and then standing in the middle of everybody. The Stinger then turns towards Hogan, staring him down as the NWO members hold up the two sweet sign. Hollywood leans in and embraces him, only for Sting to just take a step back, falling in line with the rest of the NWO, standing solemnly with a distant look on his face as we fade out. Yeah, um, but Sting does not react at all. Mm-mm. Like he takes the like he doesn't hug back. Hogan hugs him. He stands next to them, doesn't with no reaction at all. Eric Bischoff says that he loves this because of course he does. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Monday Night Nitro from February 24th, 1997? Giving it up to Malenko the Goat. But I mean, yeah, this is a fine, watchable show. It, everything 
most everything feeds into the night before. There's a lot of matches, but none of them are over long. Like, it's, it's yeah. Solid episode of television. I have a similar feeling about it where it's an easy watch. It's not a terrible show. It plants lots of seeds and whatnot, but there are too many fucking matches. There are ten matches on this show just like there were on the pay-per-view the night before. Yeah. That's too many. My argument to that is that they're all pretty quick and entertaining, so then even sometimes a good match goes on too long. But here, even Hugh Morris or Prince Ikea, it's like they're short even when they're not necessarily sweet, and it just keeps it moving. Because if we had, like, seven matches and we tacked another three minutes onto each match, like, that's probably going to make the show drag. I actually was going to bring this this point up. Hmm. Here in WCW, when are the breaks between the matches? Yeah. yeah. They don't ever cut away f- from the middle of a match. They don't ever do split-screen interviews. Mm-hmm. So the matches are shorter. So they're going to have a few more matches. Because everything else is happening either in between the matches or a commercial's happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the difference between a Raw and a Nitro. Because that last Raw we watched, it literally, like, every single match either had a commercial break in the middle of it Mm -hmm. or a split-screen interview with someone. They didn't do anything after each match. So it's just the it's the different way they present a show. So you actually get to see the wrestling. Yeah, you see more wrestling on this show. And the wrestling's not like I hate when wrestling gets interrupted, even by something that would be considered a good interview. It's like, well, you're mate, you're saying that that's more important than this, and a guy talking can be more important than the match that's happening, but like. Why even but, have but, a match at that point? Yeah, but like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing them because, yeah, if you then you're saying like, well, we don't care that much, so why should you care that much? No, nah, I mean, I get why they do it, but it's just one of those when the Malenko, I think that's when it was when the Malenko and Ultimo match started. I looked at the time that was on there. I was like, seriously, we have this much fucking show left, just because it felt like it should be over already. Oh, yeah. I didn't quite feel the same way, but I understand where you're coming from. This show flew by for me. Um, Had lots of fun action, good storyline beats. It also helped that the crowd was very anti-NWO. It always helps. Yeah. Because it definitely helped sell the last couple of segments much better than if, you know, the entire crowd's... Behind them. Cheering for NWO. It it would make no sense. Yeah, it's just like a fart in church at that point. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah... It's not, yeah. Like, what's the point if the heels are getting cheered consistently for doing, like, legit cheating? They're not even, it's like, yeah, they're quote-unquote cool heels, but they're just guys approximating what cool is to, like, a fucking fourth grader. Dean Malenko's cool. That's a cool heel. That's why he's the ice Absolutely. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? I mean, I just talked about it. 
Dean Malenko. Yeah, dude. Dean Malenko and Ultimo Dragon just fucking having a barn burner that ends in a a DQ in kind of the best way possible. Because it's like, oh, Dean, Dean Malenko is now fucking unhinged. And, uh, and that's great. Hacksaw Jim Duggan promo. Incredible. Absolutely. I can agree on that. Him, when he said Terry, I got a big old smile on my face and to see the reaction of me and Gene being like it's like I don't want to get any of this on me covering his bases Poovy and Ray was fun yeah Team um Guerrero versus the Faces of Fear I enjoyed that match quite a bit it was great yeah there's like feel like that uh, anything on here that might not be the most entertaining was short enough that the stuff I remember is the things that were good and entertaining. Where it's like, oh yeah, I would not have remembered Joe Gomez until we just talked through this show. But like, it's because it was quick. Joe well, on, speaking of that match, I love a good no laughing matter. I mean, uh, he, it's one of the best moonsaults in it, the game. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It blew, blew my mind. For a guy that nobody gives a shit about, what a moonsault. I love you, Morris. Do you? Yeah, I do. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't, I would never say that I hated him. I just don't have any a real opinion on Hugh Morris. I'm like, oh, he's Hugh Morris. I mean, Hugh Morris is definitely better than, what was it, General Erection or whatever the hell he <laughs> changed his name meant to for that. That was fun too. I Funky don't little. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Matt loves a general erection. I mean, I. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do as well. <laughs> yeah, I remember Lance Storm was in that storyline for a while. So. Uh, oh yeah. See, I forgot about that part. Because it was Team Canada versus Team USA. That's and right. That's why they changed their names. That's fun. I just general erection and GI Bro and Tits McGee or whatever the hell her name was. Major Guns. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> How about most disappointing? Let me start it off. All right. Hacksaw Duggan's promo. <laughs> but it's also great. But it doesn't go anywhere. Well, yeah. That's the problem. I mean, the thing is, I knew that it didn't go anywhere, but then you confirmed it. But I had strong feelings that it didn't. But it's a so it's kind not, of a bummer the, the because he's over. The promo itself not the disappointment. It's no. that, like, he does this promo and then it's like... Just give the dude a fucking TV main event at some yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, he's like, going to get... Prince Ikea needs a new opponent. Yeah. But he might have to lose then, so... But Hacksaw, like... that. We were so over Hacksaw pretty recently, and here I'm kind of pumped on him for no re... For, like, just because... He said Terry. Because, well, because he said Terry, and because his promo was really good, and he did the... He pointed out that prayers and vitamins and what about all the special olympics and you know the fans and all this all these things you did and like to turn your back on all of them it was just like such a great like classic baby face fired up promo and how much have we cried about hacksaw in the past yeah. and here he he got me legitimately excited unfortunately for no reason yeah. so flowers for him i mean i already said there's too many matches for me for a Nitro. But I get why they do it. I'm trying to think. Because, like, the squash, all the squash stuff serves its purpose well. I mean, technically, the last two matches aren't matches. Yeah. No. That's the, you know, NWO half hour. Uh, Macho Man, yet again, proves that 
He cannot tag anything with that spray can. Yeah, he's not good. He's with horrible. It. And you'd figure a man who's been painted as many times as he was, he'd he'd have a well. Maybe that's why he doesn't do it as as well as they got him because maybe that shit took a lot to to wash off, and he's just trying to help him out by making it just a little mist instead of a dripping NWO. I don't find anything on here particularly disappointing. No. I'm I'm happy for Ice Train. <laughs> Even though it probably won't amount to much either. But it's just nice to see him back. He's uh you know If the Teddy Long Jacqueline thing doesn't go anywhere, I'll be disappointed in that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, Ice Train with Jacqueline and Teddy Long sounds awesome. Sounds like it could be something neat. Yeah. Or at least yeah, it sounds like a fun like middle, lower middle card. Prince IK Ice Train. World TV Championship. Ooh, I just want to see Ice Train just spine bust the shit out of him. That's right. I have a best performer of the night. It's Dean Malingo. Dean, 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 Dean. Because he totally sold the the heel turn. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Just with his attitude change and everything. Mm-hmm. And so. he'd been building it up. He built it up a little bit the night before. Went a little bit harder tonight. Wonderful DQ. And then the quick fired up promo. Like, yeah. Cool, cold Dean Blinko is is great. It's awesome. It's kind of like a good. It's still better, but it's kind of like Sonata. Cool head, clean, calculated. But sometimes you want to see somebody show some emotion, and mm-hmm. seeing Dean show some emotion really means a lot when he's been the guy. It's like so level-headed and like clinical, and he did it well. And believe in a believable manner, which isn't easy because we've seen so many people fumble that ball. How about most surprising? The debut of Goldberg's music. Yeah. As far as I know, it's a debut. I would say that. I, I mean, it before. might not be the debut of it, but it's the first time we've yeah. heard it. Yeah, the, the first noticeable. It totally makes stupid wrestling sense, but they, they were like, oh, we're going to gift you Elizabeth was bizarre I mean, and surprising. There was someone that had Rey Mysterio's music like six months before he had it, too. So yeah. I mean, it's... They just don't expect you to remember because, you know, no. the internet's not a thing mm-hmm. at this point in any real way. Although there is simulcasts. <laughs> but yeah, the Liz thing, I'm like, what is this going to amount to? Uh, I feel like Liz is so touch and go that it's like... Good for her for getting a paper, forget not 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 pay per view, but good for her for getting paid. But I know that this ends with her dying from pills, so it's just like just get out of wrestling, Liz. You'll be okay. Just go home and do something else. Hindsight. The Squire David Taylor is still there. <laughs> that was very honestly <laughs> maybe surprised of the night because I was like, he still works here. The first thing when they said his name, Squire David Taylor, I wrote down. Who thought? Who knew he still worked here? I kind of forgot all about him, honestly. Yeah. Maybe he's been squashed for years on nitros. We haven't watched. Who knows? I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm sure too. He's a main event performer on WCW Saturday Night. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. Barry Windham had won the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship, with the nature boy Ric Flair coming out to help him place it around his waist. But the lone wolf had decided this was all mind games, and would feud with the horseman, leading to a title defense with Nature at Beach Blast on July 18, 1993. 
The two men would fight in and outside of the ring to start until Wyndham would take control with a Samoan drop, a power slam, and a superplex, but would then miss a flying elbow. The Nature Boy would fight back with a crossbody and a back suplex before locking Barry in the figure four. Wyndham would reach out for the ropes, but his shoulders would be on the mat for the pin, making Ric Flair a nine-time champion. The next few months, tensions would arise between WCW and the NWA, causing World Championship Wrestling to withdraw from the partnership, forcing them to change the name of the Big Gold Belt title to the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship. The Nature Boy would go on to face a ravishing opponent in the near future, while the NWA would find a new partner soon, only to run into a few more problems. I miss Rick Rude. Same. <sighs> Gone too soon. Mm-hmm. We'll, still, we'll, we'll see him again here soon. I know, it's just that, in, you know, in the ring. Yeah. In the ring, I mean, I always want the man to get paid, but... He was really finally coming into his own as, like, a top guy mm-hmm. before that <sighs> match in Japan. Finally worked his way out of the shadow of the Ultimate Warrior. Became that big name that we knew he should have always been. Next week, WWF Monday Night Raw from March 3rd, 1997. Hmm. We're going overseas. Right. Berlin. Berlin Germany. So the music from this week's show is Firestorm and Rock House by FCD Music because NWO was standing in the ring strong. Unfortunately, always on top. On Yeah. Uh, you can rate your us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Come on, we're trying. If you have any questions, comments, concerns. Have you ever been to Germany? <laughs> What'd you do there? What'd you eat? What'd you drink? What? We don't, we don't really answer. <laughs> uh, flat pieces of pork and round pieces of cylindrical pieces of pork. Some pretzels. Yeah, um, yeah, but no, we've, uh, we're, we're going over to Germany and as per usual, Shane would like some ideas to to come up with something to bring for this. We always need stuff for Philly. Philly is always just mostly focus on Philly. Yeah. Once we've been to Germany for like the seventy third time, then I, I might start asking happen. for more. But the second time might be in like twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is there's a reason we're covering this. But you know, give us a shout out on uh, on the X. At us, slide into our DMs. Tell us what you thought of this show or uh, any of the shows that we've watched. What are your favorites? What do you think we should watch? Let me know. I want to talk to you. Is Prince IK underrated? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you can do any of those things through our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or you know, do it like Stephen Newman. Stephen Newman. He sent us a DM on X. I saw it. At Wrestling Histoex. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O. X. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Steve. La-la-la-later. Later.